meets President Xi Jinping later this week, and more than 250 people have died in a mudslide in Colombia. The news from RTHK. Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. Go along King's Road in North Point and there by the tram tracks is the State Theatre. It was created in 1952 as the Empire Theatre and it's the vision of heritage activist Haida Kickaboy that it could be turned back into an arts centre. Haida is the co-founder of the heritage tour group Walk in Hong Kong and has been central in helping the theatre to be recognised with Grade 1 heritage status. What we see over the front entrance, it's a mural or a bas-relief. So it's a piece of sculpture on, on a wall. It's not in a very good condition today, unfortunately. But the mural is actually based on a story inspired by a tale from ancient China from the Three Kingdoms period. Basically, it's about a story of deception. There's this lady, very beautiful. She foxes a general. Uh, she ruins everything for him. Uh, I've always uh, found it really strange. Uh, it's intriguing. Why uh, a theatre, which is a business, a profit-making business, uh, <laughs> supposedly, would have this piece of artwork around the theme of deception to grace its front entrance? I did a lot of uh, research about the arts work. I read uh, old newspaper reports. I uh, found, tried to find out uh, more about the, the artist's uh, Mei Yu Tian uh, is a Chinese artist. And uh, apparently, um, the artwork, the execution of it, the inspiration is Chinese, but the execution of it, there's stylings from all over the world. The dancers in the mirror, they are in Southeast Asian costumes. There's a regional influence. And uh, apparently, there's a harp in the uh, mirror as well. So that's something from, from the West. Uh, Greek, perhaps. So it's a very exciting, eclectic or strange blend of cultural influences from uh, ancient China, from Southeast Asia and from the West. So in that sense, it's a classically Hong Kong thing. It's a hodgepodge. This frieze underneath, is there a way of preserving that? Do you think that we can get some, is it sort of stonemasons that we would need? I think like grimy condition that we see today, some of it is probably the, the, the grime, the dirt or the damage. Probably some of it is reversible. But the thing is, this frieze or artwork, the theatre was built in 52, so 65 years ago now. The frieze was already there when the theatre opened. But very quickly, it was already covered, actually, because it, it had function as a theatre, as, as a cinema. So they put the adverts in front of it exactly. anyway. Mm. So uh, that wouldn't have done the uh, artwork uh, too much good. Perhaps some of the damage is permanent, but I would like to think that some of it is just grime. It can be removed. So I'm standing with Haida here in Kings Road, just opposite the State Theatre. You've brought me up to an upstairs car park that's just opposite from the theatre. We've got quite a good street view here, haven't we? Yeah, so State Theatre, it's a bang in front of us. The roof structure, which is the uh, dominant feature of the building, it towers over King's Road. It bestrides this uh, street corner. It's very eye-catching. The roof structure of uh, State Theatre, for those who have not seen it, basically it's a series of trusses or arches there's seven of them they are parabolic uh, if i can use that word so what does parabolic mean uh, are you an architect 
I, I, no, I'm no architect. I'm just someone who is fascinated by buildings. Maybe parabolic is too technical or inaccessible a term. Basically, the, these are trusses. They, they are arches. They, they take the form of arches. There's seven of them uh, in a rack, in a series, in an ascending form. So when you put them together, they hold the roof of the theatre from above uh, to create a column-free auditorium so space is maximized inside uh, so the audience the view is not obstructed you could see over 1300 people uh, in the theater there's also space for a stage because say theater is not just a cinema it was also a prime venue for live shows musical recitals dance shows but coming back to the streetscape to the architecture uh, on this section of king's road of course, State Theatre is the icon, it's the giant on this section of King's Road. But if you look to both sides, all these residential buildings are either side or sandwiching uh, State Theatre. They are from the late 50s, early 1960s. These were, if you like, the marks of Hong Kong's uh, post-war boom, uh, economic boom, population boom. These high-rises, they are very definitive part of the Hong Kong urban landscape, I think. And they're actually very consistent if you look at their facades uh, in terms of the colour, in terms of the patterns. So the State Theatre was constructed in 1952. So with the uh, people living here, who, what type of people would have been living in those flats in, in, say, the 50s and 60s, and probably going to the State Theatre? In the 1950s, North Point earned the uh, moniker. It was called Little Shanghai. Uh, that's because after 1949, after the communists uh, took over China, uh, lots of people left, they fled uh, to Taiwan, many of them came to Hong Kong, and uh, quite a few of those who, who came down here, they were from Shanghai, and usually with a bit of money, they were businessmen, industrialists, uh, or they were professionals, architects, artists, writers, lawyers. Uh, quite a few of these people, they settled in North Point. One easy explanation is that North Point at that time, it was like a new town. It was building up. The houses, if we have a time machine, if we go back to the 1950s, uh, houses that we see on this stretch of Kings Road in that decade, they, they were low rises, three stories. And State Theatre was the giant monster, if you like, in this part of town. And these people, because they had a bit of money, and because they came from Shanghai, Shanghai was the big city in this part of the world, pre-war, pre-Second World War. And these people, they very often brought with them their, their cultural taste, uh, their, their habits, uh, their, their lifestyle, preferences to Hong Kong. And, and they want, in some ways, wanted to re replicate what life was like for them back in Shanghai. So in that context, uh, state theatre appeared. And also there were lots of nightclubs, fancy restaurants. There was even an amusement park just around the corner. But all these things from this colourful entertainment pop in North Point, where we are standing, in fact, uh, from, from the 50s, they're all gone, save State Theatre, which is why State Theatre is uh, very important, because it is testament to a short-lived but key part of not only North Point, but Hong Kong history, I think. Now, you're a part of Walk in Hong Kong, a cultural heritage group which you co-founded. In essence, Hong Kong is always changing. One of the people on a series of videos that you made on the State Theatre and, and, and your campaign to save it, uh, she describes how you know Hong Kong is pragmatic in the sense that it knocks things down, builds others. 
but also one of your other, I think it was a film director in one of your other videos about the State Theatre, he said, you know, if you take everything away that in essence is the geography of somebody's culture, then, you know, they, they don't have anything to hang it on. And I agree, it does make State Theatre so important. So it's, it's something that, that people can cherish, can remember. Totally. I'm not saying everything from the past has to be kept. Uh, no, far from it. That would uh, be total rubbish. But I think it's very important for any city to have architectural continuity. When you go travelling anywhere, Singapore, let, let, let's not go too far to the west. Just look uh, at cities around us. Taipei, Singapore, KL, um, or even Shanghai, you would see buildings from different periods in time. You see continuity in the built landscape. That's very important because a city that has no way of holding on or establishing where, where it came from, uh, it's a city without, so it, it would be a very boring place, it would be a very strange place. And, and like you say, for uh, people who uh, grew up, who spent their entire lives in Hong Kong, like my parents' generation, uh, for them, back in the 50s through 70s, going to the movies was the number one form of mass entertainment. It was the most popular pastime for the common people. There's at least one theatre, virtually every street corner. There were grand theatres, like state theatre, dotting the whole city, but, but now they're all gone. And Without these physical reminders of the past, A, you can't tell the younger ones where the parents or grandparents came from, what life was like for them before. You need something physical to hold the, the memories of, of people. You need to have something tangible to, to just store these nice stories, whether they're happy or unhappy. I'm standing with Heidi Kickerboy, the co-founder of Walk in Hong Kong here on King's Road. And we're looking over at the State Theatre, which Heidi has been very active in campaigning to save. Now, you were involved. There was a result on that in, in December. So where are we at on that campaign? December, the Antiquities Advisory Board, AAB, they proposed that State Theatre should be a Grade 1 historic building. For now, it's a proposed grade. We're confident that the grade will be confirmed. With a Grade 1 historic building status, unfortunately, that does not mean the building is uh, safe. Uh, it's no legal protection. A Grade 1 status means a building is of exceptional merit, that every effort should be made to preserve it. But that, that's just definition on paper. It's still significant. It's a very important step forward because if in future the owner of this building wants to demolish everything and maybe build uh, two commercial towers, then if the government is being dutiful, if it's being respectful of public uh, opinion, then uh, they, they would go to talk to the developer to see if a solution can be uh, reached. I'm actually standing with Haida on a second floor car park and it's just opposite the State Theatre here on King's Road. Downstairs, I'm sure you can hear as the, the tram's going past. If you go into the State Theatre now, uh, or that area, it's a shopping complex. The ground floor of the State Theatre building is a shopping arcade. It's been like that since 1959. This is a point I have to make very clear because even people in the government who were in charge of assessing the heritage value of State Theatre, uh, at one point they said, oh, State Theatre, it's uh, changed completely. Now it's a shopping centre. But that's, that's wrong because the ground floor has always been a shopping centre since 1959. If you move a floor up, now uh, you... 
you go into a snooker club. The snooker club is the former theatre space. Okay, the theatre was converted into snooker club in the year 2000. That may sound shocking or alarming. In the very beginning, when we started the work to try to um, save state theatre, we also thought, oh, actually, inside the, the, the outside of the building is intact. Uh, you can uh, see the architecture very well. But the inside, originally we thought, oh yeah, everything's gone. But as we went along, we, we started to doubt if that's really true. So we went to check the plans at the buildings department and we also got some friends who are architects to go in and they checked everything with their eyes and uh, at the same time uh, cross-referencing the plans from the uh, buildings department and they made a significant dis discovery. My friends confirmed that actually the structure of the theatre internally is intact. The structure of the dress circle and the uh, stalls, the auditorium, the, the, the below, the bottom level if you like, the form of the theatre inside is still there. What's gone are the uh, seats in the stalls and also the stage. But these things, they're like furniture. You want to turn it back into a theatre, don't you? I'm not saying it must be turned back into theatre, but I would really want this to be turned into an arts and culture facility. I want a mini cinema inside. It does not have to be a grand theatre that can once again uh, seat 1,300 people because these days you, you won't get a full house like that. So uh, it's massive inside, so one part of it can be a small cinema showing maybe independent flicks or uh, art house movies or, or, or mix of movies. And then you can have another section that can do live performances, that there will be a stage for indie bands, for drama. And Today, with the latest theatre fittings, everything is so high-tech now. I'm sure the, the seats, for instance, they can be uh, re removable. The stage as well. So if there are no screenings or live shows, just take away all the seats and then you have a massive indoor exhibition or conference events venue. You can even do uh, sports games. You, you can stage uh, badminton games. Uh, so there's a whole load of possibilities with, with this building and just a few days ago the cinema in City Plaza uh, is, is closed down so now after you pass Causeway Bay uh, you won't find a single cinema until you reach Shao K1 unless you include a little cinema inside the Hong Kong Film Archives so from Tin Hao to Saiwan Ho it's a massive part of Hong Kong Island I don't know how many people, maybe hundreds of thousands are, are living in this part of Hong Kong Island they, they are without a cinema and also if you look at the stats from the LCSD, the Leisure Culture Services Department, stats from late 2015 they said that 70% of applications for performance uh, space in Hong Kong, they are turned down they're over, they're, there's massive demand but supply is so little for um, live performance. It's not a shame because that's really thwarting uh, a lot of artists and a lot of performing artists in Hong Kong. Well, totally. Well, uh, spare a thought for, for those uh, indie bands who get uh, chased from building to building in uh, Kun Tong. Uh, these bands, they get full houses all the time. They're very popular. They, they just so want... Bands? Bands. They mm -hmm. just want to play, play music, but because of a lack of like, legal uh, facilities they, they don't know where to go but why, why don't 
uh, we turn state theatre back into a place for public entertainment. This perfect location is right uh, between two MTR stations. It's on Kings Road. The tram is trundling up, up and down this part of Kings Road. Also, uh, just down the road, you've got Sunbeam Theatre, which is very popular for Cantonese opera. Every five years, their lease runs out and uh, there's a crisis. Uh, people, they, they mourn. Uh, they go in the morning, they, they, they say, oh, uh, Sunbeam is about to, to die. Uh, it happens every five years. So actually quite a few North, North Pointers, people who live in, in the, lo- locally, they say, why don't we just move Sunbeam here? Uh, that, that would solve the problem. And I think that's possible. State theatre, it, it did stage Cantonese opera quite often in the 60s. So it's very versatile, if anyone, I think. Interesting. I mean, has there been, I mean, you know, obviously you've campaigned, the AAB has given it uh, grade one at the moment. It'd be great if that got upgraded to monument status, then definitely it would be protected. Um, But uh, in terms of this complex and the idea, uh, I mean, for me, it sounds, I mean, I'm not a business person, but it sounds very viable. It is viable, and also I think it's important to stress that for a lot of people, they like the idea of keeping old buildings, but when it's put to them that, okay, if you want to keep this old building, then the government will have to fork out all billions of uh, dollars to uh, buy buy the land, the building, or maybe uh, to compensate the uh, landowner, then, then people, they, they, they balk at, at that thought because that's taxpayers' money. That's a very fair reservation or criticism directed uh, often at uh, people like myself, heritage activists, who in a way do not have any stake in the building. I don't own the building. But actually the government does not necessarily have to spend public money, taxpayers' money in this situation. Because, for instance, what we see uh, in front of us is state theatre, but behind you have residential blocks. Ground floor, you've got the shopping arcade. These three parts, they form the whole complex. The residential blocks, uh, for sure, they will go. But if the government can consider planning measures such as if state theatre is retained, the plot ratio of it can be transferred to the plot behind it where the residential blocks are standing, then the developer in future, maybe they can be allowed to build a taller commercial tower with more floor space. That would be a form of compensation which would not involve public money okay and also on the ground floor there's a massive shopping arcade currently there are 80 shop spaces it's a lot this is king's road this prime location uh, i'm not calling for the shopping arcade to be revamped into a, a luxury shopping arcade i think we've got enough of those already in hong kong but the rents that you can collect from the shops they could be quite attractive obviously ideally uh, if i can decide everything i, I would want the shopping arcade to really have a, have a mix of tenants preferably shops that are to do with the arts and culture then if the theater can be turned into a modern arts and uh, culture facility then you will have a whole package also we are now living in the 21st century this is 2017 big companies uh, more and more of them they invest in their corporate image they they do a lot about corporate social responsibility. Uh, State Theatre, it's the last grand theatre standing in Hong Kong today. It's an icon. It recalls the heyday of Hong Kong cinema. There's no other building in the world or theatre in the world uh, with this kind of architecture. It's a Hong Kong gem. It's a made-in-Hong-Kong treasure. It would make any developer look good if they can keep 
this building. It can be the icon, the feature that fronts their commercial developments, I think. Returning to 1952, so 65 years ago, who founded the State Theatre? How did it suddenly come about? It was founded uh, in 1952. At that time, it was called Empire Theatre. It was founded by a gentleman called Harry O'Dell. He is a very interesting man. Uh, he's got nothing short of a legendary life. He was born in Cairo, in fact. Uh, he's a man from the late 19th century. He was born to Russian Jewish parents. When he was four years old, he moved to Shanghai with his family. He was schooled there. And when he was old enough, in his late teens, uh, for some reason, he, he left. And where did he go? Went to Nagasaki in Japan. He worked as a tap dancer for a bit. And then First World War broke out. He went to the States. And he fought for the US uh, in France. Uh, he was okay. He didn't got captured or anything. After the war, he came to Hong Kong. He married a socialite. He married the daughter of a jewellery businessman. And he got some money afterwards. And he went into stock. So she was Chinese? Or? Uh, Jewish as well, but from France. Yeah? The parents uh, of that lady. Then Harry O'Dell got into stockbroking. So he was earning money. Uh, but, but there were ups and downs in his life as well. Uh, I think he, he got into serious trouble uh, during the strike in 25, 26. Then Second World War came. He fought for Hong Kong. He was in the uh, Royal uh, Naval um, Vol Volunteers uh, Reserves. He was in a mine sweeping unit and he was injured in the lake and he was captured. He was made a POW. He was put into a Bowen Road Military Hospital. It was not nice. Uh, but luckily he survived and uh, after the war he got into film distribution. Uh, <laughs> So he's already done many, many things. That's an amazing yeah, life. By, by the time he, he came out of prisoners' uh, war camp. He got into film distribution because one of his sons, uh, Albert O'Dell, uh, was already in, in that uh, field uh, by, by that point. But, I mean, Harry O'Dell, I mean, if he's already served in the First World War, he's been a... Uh, uh, he should have retired. Yeah. So prior to that, he he's a ta going. tap dancer in Nagasaki of Russian-Jewish heritage. And he's obviously been a prisoner of war, as you say, during, in, during the Japanese occupation in Hong Kong. So you can imagine the deprivations physically and mentally during that period. And he's still going strong after the war. Yeah, he's a force of nature, I believe. And apparently uh, it was only in 1950 that he really started to get into classical music. And he just fell in love with it, madly. And then he decided, OK, I'm going to open a theatre for live musical shows, hence State Theatre. So actually, uh, State Theatre, as we know it today, it's, uh, it's a cinema, it's for movies. But no, actually, uh, originally when it was founded, the idea was to run it as a stage for the best artists, uh, musicians in the world. But obviously Harry O'Dell knew that at that time in Hong Kong, there's not that many people who who knew what classical music is about, uh, who, who would pay uh, expensive tickets to, to watch a live show. Uh, so he, he needs a, a viable economic model to uh, sustain the cinema. So while, when there are no uh, music shows, then he would uh, screen movies. So, so the, the music shows would be in a cinematic form? 
No, they sit... It was actually live orchestras. Li- oh, yes, totally. They're, they're, there's an orchestra pit. The, the structure of the orchestra pit is still inside today. It's just... We can't see it if you go into the snooker club, but uh, it's there. It's just covered. Now, in the snooker club, there's a floor deck and a false ceiling. Uh, the false ceiling conceals the dress circle. Uh, but coming back to Harry O'Dell, uh, yes, the music shows, they, they were live shows. Harry O'Dell, he once told the South China Morning Post in the early 50s uh, that uh, he's uh, only interested in associating himself with the best. So it was his mission to bring in high-quality classical music or Western entertainment to, to Hong Kong in the early 50s. And remember, there's no city hall in Hong Kong in the 50s. So in those days, the importance of state theatre is not just for North Point or Hong Kong Island, it was Hong Kong-wide. This was the best stage at the time, maybe alongside Lee Theatre in Causeway Bay, which is no more. So state theatre, it, it was a very important venue for, for the arts in Hong Kong in the old days. It, it's the forerunner to City Hall. Harry O'Dell, he sold Empire Theatre in '57. He only ran it, this business for five years because it was just losing too much money. And afterwards, he lobbied the government really hard to build a city hall because he said, look, Hong Kong is now in the modern. Uh, we're going to the 1960s. Uh, the population is exploding. Hong Kong is becoming uh, like a proper city. You need a proper arts facility that befits uh, a proper city. And eventually, city hall came in 62. And Harry, Harry O'Dell continued to... Uh, to stage lots of shows. Did he ever do any tap dancing in the Empire Theatre? Not, not that I know of, unfortunately. <laughs> that, that's something else I have to uh, find out. <laughs> I, I won't be surprised if it did. He is uh, a real character. One other marvellous discovery I made very recently was Solomon Bart. He is a historian, he's a musician, but one thing uh, people may forget that is that Dr Solomon Bart was the very first head of the Antiquities Monuments Office back in 1973. Okay, Solomon Bard, he is a lifelong musician, and recently I found out that in 1954 he performed in the then Empire Theatre as part of the Sino-British Orchestra. He was the chief violinist in that particular performance. So I I don't know if that. Okay, maybe it's just a piece of trivia, but I don't know if that fact is uh, known to the current head of the no, AMO. No, I mean, uh, is, yeah, oh, for the AMO, yes, that's interesting. Because, I mean, Solomon Bard, I mean, yes, he was a real Renaissance man. He was incredible, actually. I mean, I think he also ran the Hong Kong Philharmonic. Exactly. Um, the, the Sino-British Orchestra is the predecessor to the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. So Harry O'Dell, although he only ran Empire Theatre for five years, but his importance to Hong Kong history, it, it lives very long because he brought arts from the West to Hong Kong in the 50s. So do you, I mean, when you look at the State Theatre now, I mean, do we have, or the Empire Theatre as was, um, do we have early programmes? Do we know what was staged in the 50s? Yes, in the 50s, uh, movies that were shown here, they were uh, movies from the West Hollywood flicks. Like? In the 50s, uh, King and I, that's uh, one film I can remember. The uh, film that opened Empire Theatre was called Just For You. In the 60s, a few uh, classics were shown here, like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Sound of Music, uh, Graduate. James Bond movies. But were also Hong Kong films shown here? A bit later, going to the 70s, uh, State Theatre, it joined the Golden Harvest movie circuit. 
and 70s was the decade when Hong Kong cinema, Hong Kong popular culture really took form and, and blossomed and became a regionally very influential popular culture. So the, the classics of Hong Kong cinema, quite a few of them were shown here. Uh, Bruce Lee movies, Jackie Chan movies, movies from the Ho brothers. Okay, the, these are defining movies of Hong Kong cinema, of Hong Kong popular culture. Uh, if we go to Malaysia, Singapore today, or Chinatown in North America, many people who are in their 30s or older, uh, even if they are not Cantonese, they, they can speak Cantonese. And that's because they all grew, grew up on a very healthy diet of TVB drama soaps and Hong Kong movies like those that were shown in state theatre. Hong Kong was a movie-making powerhouse in the world until not so long ago. And then you, you need consumers, you need people to watch them. A place like state theatre was where people supported, consumed those movies. Today, state theatre is really the last grand cinema standing in Hong Kong today. It recalls the heyday of Hong Kong cinema. Hong Kong cinema, Hong Kong popular culture, is Hong Kong's soft power. Any self-respecting city in the world needs to know where its soft power lies. My thanks to Haida Kickerboy of Walk in Hong Kong. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. The MPF Default Investment Strategy, or DIS, has been launched. Key features are automatic reduction of investment risk according to MPF scheme members' age, fee caps, and globally diversified investment. If you've never given investment instructions, your trustee will send a notice to let you choose whether to invest your MPF benefits according to the DIS. Contact your MPF trustee for inquiries. The deadline for both voter registration and change of particulars is May 2nd. Please submit your application by the deadline. Registered voters can log in to the online voter information inquiry system at www.voterinfo.gov.hk to check their registration particulars. Some voters will receive letters from the registration and electoral office requesting them to confirm their addresses. Please reply by May 2nd so that you can continue to vote. Now on Radio 3, Amelia Fox continues reading The Girls of Slender Means, Muriel Sparks' darkly comic novel set in post-war London, following the lives and loves of the young ladies of May of Tech boarding house. Today, budding author Nicholas Farringdon continues to exert his charm on the girls of May Tech Club, and they on him. Selina sat, not yet dressed, on the edge of Nicholas's bed. How can you bear to live here? It does till one finds a flat. In fact, he was quite content with his austere bed-sitting room. With the reckless ambition of a visionary, he pushed his passion for Selina into a desire that she too should accept and exploit the outlines of poverty in her life. He wanted Selina to be an ideal society personified amongst her bones. He wanted her beautiful limbs to obey her mind and heart like intelligent men and women. Whereas Selina's desires were comparatively humble, 
She only wanted, at that particular moment, a packet of hair grips, which had just then disappeared from the shops for a few weeks. It was not the first instance of a man taking a girl to bed with the aim of converting her soul. He said, "I've arranged about the roof." Well, see and arrange about the weather.